A preposition is a word. It defines the relationship of one thing to another thing. Relation of direction or time or, or place or location or distance, etc. things like that. I want to show you, I want to uh, teach you two Greek prepositions tonight, real quick. If, see if I've got those up there. Um, the first preposition is ek, and sometimes it changes the way it's spelled when it's put in front of a word. But ek is a preposition that means out of or from. Ice is another preposition, and it's just the opposite. It, instead of out of or from, it means into or toward or to place something upon. Let me show you two words where those prepositions attach to the front of the word. Up here, the next one. Exegesis. Anybody ever heard the word exegesis? All right. It means to unfold or reveal or make known. It, it comes out of that. Eisegesis is to read into. You've got the preposition ice. It means into, to read into one's own ideas. We talk about um, the way that we want to be people who read the Bible is we want to be people who read the Bible as exegetes. We want to take out of, we want to pull out of what's in the Bible. We don't want to be eisegetes. We don't want to be people who read into the Bible. Let me show you where I'm going with this. In John chapter 1, the first 18 verses, it's called the prologue. It's, it's uh, John's Christmas story, if you will. But John doesn't start in the manger. John starts before the foundations of time and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he'll tell us that Jesus is the light of the world. And then he tells us in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace. And then he says to us in verse 18, and I have verse 18 up here on the screen for us. John ends this great prologue and says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, meaning Jesus, has made him known. That word that's translated in our Bibles, has made him known, is the word exegesis. You could say it this way. Jesus has exegeted God for us. He has come to unfold or to reveal or to make known, to, to set forth completely who God is. He's explained him. He's interpreted him. So let me say it this way. Jesus did not come to just tell us about God. He, he didn't come to be another voice for God, another person to explain God for us. Jesus didn't come as this PR manager who's the fixer of the image of God, you know, the, the tyrant of the Old Testament. 
He didn't come to speak for God. He came to speak as God. He came to live as God. He came to do as God. He was God in the flesh. He, he is God right now. He, he made known on earth what he beheld with the Father and heard from the Father as the Son of God before the foundations of time. And it's not just information about God that Jesus collected over time. But Jesus making known what he'd seen and heard from all eternity and throughout all human history as the only Son of God, timeless and limitless and eternal, always and forever. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He has made him known. Now, you know, the reality is there's, there's no end of opinions about God, you know, what he's like, who he should be. Maybe you've heard a phrase similar to this, or maybe you've, you've said a phrase similar to this. Well, I, I just cannot worship a God who, and then you fill in the blank. I can't worship a God who allows injustice, or I can't worship a God who allows such suffering, or I can't worship a God who's so intolerant. And let's be honest. We're uncomfortable with the God who offends us. We're uncomfortable with being offended, and there's two reasons. One reason is because something's truly offensive. In fact, when you read the Scriptures, you, you read through the New Testament, you find that Jesus was offended by lots of the same things we're offended by. But the other reason we're offended is because we're confronted with truth that makes us uncomfortable. See, when you read the Gospels, you find Jesus was offensive. It doesn't surprise you. I mean, if you have any close friends at all in your life, or, you know, friends close enough to risk that, that have the time or would take the time to tell you the truth, then you know what it is to be offended. You also know what a loving act of friendship that it can be. See, so loving someone is never about not offending them. Loving someone's being able to tell them the truth with grace and, and mercy and love and seeking their best and, and trusting that the other person's seeking your best. And sometimes it means being offended. It means being told the truth we don't want to hear. Hearing things that are hard and hurt sometimes. And hearing those things by someone who deeply and dearly loves us. See, I think that's what so many people have missed out on with the God of the Bible. This God that, that Jesus claims, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. John says he is the Word. He was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And we've missed out on exactly who Jesus claims to be. Listen, he, for many people, he's not a friend. He, he's an opinion, or he's an imaginary friend, or he's a video game character. I mean, they, they read into him what they want him to be. One writer said it this way. He said, these are gods essentially of your own making. 
and not a God with whom you have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you, uh, make you uh, that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a friendship or marriage, will you know that you've gotten hold of the real God and not a figment of your imagination? Who would you say God is tonight? You know, in this verse, John 1.18 no one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, Jesus. He, he's made him known. In the old King James, it says Jesus has come from his bosom. We don't talk like that anymore. It's a phrase, though. It's a phrase of intimacy. It's a kind of intimacy that's, I think, lost in our culture. The advent of social media, we really don't know that kind of intimacy intimacy much anymore. To be in the bosom of someone is, is, is a Hebrew phrase that expresses the deepest intimacy that's possible between human beings. It's used of a mother and a child, or a husband and a wife, or, or, or two friends who are in complete communion with, with one another. John uses the phrase about Jesus. He means that Jesus and God, there is complete and uninterrupted intimacy. And it's because Jesus is so intimate, intimate with the Father that he and the Father are one. And Jesus can reveal to us who the Father is. In Jesus the distant, unknowable, invisible, unreachable God has come to men. And God can never be a stranger to us again. That's why he sent his son. See, Christmas, I think it's one of those weird times, though. I mean, if we're not careful, it can be like my friend Eric Barton says, a great adventure in missing the point. It can be all sentiment, although nothing sacred. It can be totally nostalgic, but not meaningful. It can come with all kinds of good feelings, but not abiding joy. See, I think the reason is because we have a Christmas theology, you know, that doesn't seem very threatening. At least we don't think it does. I mean, you have a baby and a, and a teenage mother and, 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 and Joseph and, and wise men and, and a manger and shepherds and in uh, a nice, tidy little nativity scene. And we sing, and we sing songs and we have parties and eat cookies and decorate trees and exchange presents. And it all seems very safe, doesn't it? And I just want to say to you tonight, Christmas theology... It's the furthest place from safe that you can get when you really ponder what it is that Jesus says about himself. I'll give you one example. It's in Luke's gospel, and Jesus, he's been casting out demons. Spiritual warfare. We don't talk like that much anymore either. And the religious leaders decide they're going to come to Jesus, and they come to him, and they call him a demon. It's crazy. And this well-meaning lady in the crowd, she, well, she, 
she tries to Jesus juke Jesus. It's the craziest thing. And so she says, and you know, as, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb, is the womb that bore you, and the breast which nursed you, Jesus. And he looked at her and he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. To guard it and protect it and watch over it and don't let it go. She came to Jesus. She said, Jesus, bless your mom for carrying you for nine months and nursing you as an infant. And Jesus turned to her and said, no, I'll tell you who's blessed. It's those who keep the word of God. See, Jesus has come. He's, he's made him known. He has made him known so that we can know him. Let me come at it this way, and then I'll close. In, in 1961, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev declared, so they sent a cosmonaut out into outer space, and he had not found God and the New York Magazine asked C.S. Lewis to respond to that. And so C.S. Lewis, at the time, he says this. He says, um, the Russians, I'm told, reported that they have not found God in outer space. L looking for God or, or heaven by exploring space is like reading or seeing all Shakespeare's plays and hope that you'll find Shakespeare as one of the characters or Stratford is one of the places. Shakespeare is in one sense present at every moment in every play. But he's never present in the same way as Hamlet or Lady Macbeth. Nor is he diffused to the play like a gas. If there were an idiot who thought plays exist on their own without an author or belief, our belief in Shakespeare would not be much affected by his saying quite truly that he has studied all the plays and never found Shakespeare in them. The only way Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. Hamlet's not going to find anything out about Shakespeare by going up into the rafters of the stage. Only if Shakespeare, only if the creator by revelation reveals something to the creature. You see, but God did something better than just write some information. He wrote himself into the play. He wrote himself into our lives. And he did this so that we can know him intimately. So we can know the very heart of God. And it's by the Son that we know the Father's heart. When we look at Jesus, we see God with a tear on his face. We see God with a little child who he calls to himself. We see God standing by the grave of Lazarus with a cry of anger and a groaning because of the effects of sin. We see God racing down the road because the prodigal is returning and then falling upon his neck and kissing him. Jesus comes to exegete for us God, to make him known 
so that we can know him. So too many people peer into a wooden manger, and yet you spend the rest of your life trying to avoid dealing with the wooden cross. I said earlier, Jesus came to make God known so that you could know him, and then And that's why he sent his son. He he came to, to exegete God for us, if I can say it that way. And here's the thing. We can only truly see Jesus when we take all of him in, when we receive all of who he is. And that means above all things, we would look into the cross. Jesus came into the world as a, as a baby in a manger. That's the how, but it's not the why. The cross is the why. Jesus didn't step out of eternity into time to be a great teacher or a great moral leader. He he didn't come to start a movement or inspire the masses or come as a great example or to perform miracles, although he did all those things. But that's not the why he came. Jesus came to die. The Son of God came to make God known to us by dying, by dying on a cross, a shameful, humiliating brutal death, to die while being mocked by his enemies, to die while being hated by those he loved, to die at the very hands of the one who came to save him. He came to die in their place. He came because of their sin. He came to die in your place and my place because of your sin and my sin. Jesus came. He's made him known. He's made the Father known. He is making him known so that you can know him. Let me just tell you tonight, that's Christianity. That's, that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas gift. Christ came to give you his life, to take your sin, and he dies your death. A few verses before this, In John chapter 1, John says, In him, meaning Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So tonight is the Christmas Eve service. We're going to conclude by lighting candles together or breaking glow sticks, as it may be. During Advent, we light a candle each Sunday when we gather to worship here. We've done that. and, And it's this image that the light shines in the darkness. And then one of the observations we often make is that candlelight's fleeting, isn't it? I mean, it's fragile, a puff of a breath or the draft of a breeze, and the, the light's e- easily extinguished. Jesus comes into the world as light that can never be extinguished, never be blown out. 
In fact, he's the light that will overcome the darkness. In Revelation 22, at the very end of the Bible, John, the same writer, he's writing, he gives us a glimpse of new heavens and new earths, and he says this, he says, and night will be no more. There'll be no need, uh, they will need no uh, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So though John witnessed darkness itself being blown out. No more night, only light. The light shines in the darkness. The Word made flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen His glory.